Hello, and welcome to Books and Beards. This is Adam and Juan. Okay, so today we are going to discuss one of my all-time favorite books, and the only book I've ever read multiple times, is Janet Fitch's White Oleander. All right. So what is White Oleander, to be honest? Like, I mean, I've always heard about it. I know you've always spoken about this book. So it's just like, how would you describe the book? So the book, I first read the book when I was 15 years old. And it kind of came by me um, serendipitously, I suppose, because I was going through a real struggle with my own identity and evolving into a a young queer adult actually and my relationship with my family specifically my mother and i was in a used bookstore in hot springs north carolina and i found this book that was really tattered (laughs) and it had been read multiple times by somebody else and it was on the dollar bookshelf really um yeah and I don't know why, but I just, I picked it up and I put it back and I picked it up again and I was like, you know what, it's a dollar. So I bought it and I brought it home and became enamored with the book within the first sentence. And I think the beauty of what Janet Fitch created in this story is that she had a daughter who romanticized her mother in the way that I think every child does and she highlights the mother's severe and even poisonous imperfections but also highlights all the reasons that she's extraordinary and you want to reach out to her even though she is unreachable which of course plays into the analogy or euphemism I guess of the white oleander flower and if you wouldn't mind, I'll actually even read the first paragraph from the and Maybe listeners will understand what it is that just pulled me in right away. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear more about it. Sure. So the first paragraph of White Oleander is, The Santa Anas blew in hot from the desert, shriveling the last of the spring grass into whiskers of pale straw. Only the oleanders thrived their delicate poisonous blossoms, their dagger green leaves. We could not sleep in the hot dry nights, my mother and I. I woke up at midnight to find her bed empty. I climbed to the roof and easily spotted her blonde hair like a white flame in the light of the three-quarter moon. Oleander time, she said. Lovers who kill each other now will blame it on the wind. She held up her large hand and spread the fingers, let her desert dryness lick through. My mother was not herself in the time of the Santa Annas. I was 12 years old and I was afraid of her. I wished things were back the way they had been, that Barry was still here and that wind would stop blowing. So I don't know about you, but that doesn't pull you in to want to know the rest of this little story. <laughs> wow, no, the pros on that. It's just, it's really good. Oh, it yeah. is. It's a, 
super prosy. Like, I mean, it's very poetic. Yeah, and the whole book kind of reads like a poem. Um, it's it's uncomplicated and vastly complex at the same time and i think that that's what makes it so beautiful i think it's complex in the sense that it deals so much with the the complexity of a mother-daughter or mother-child relationship and the identity that develops within a child that has a controlling very powerful presence in their mother Mm -hmm. but it's also very simple in the sense that we all understand it so it's not foreign to us Oh, wow. You know, one thing I didn't know about this book, yeah, as I did my research on it, is that it was actually on Oprah's book club, you know, when it came out in 1999. Was it really? See, I didn't know that, so I just learned something yeah. new. It was I also translated, yeah, it was also translated into 24 different languages. I mean, I don't know, I it's, it makes sense to me. I'm kind of surprised at how many people have mentioned this book too mm-hmm. that have never even heard of it or maybe have it somewhere in their house or they knew somebody who had it or have come across it but haven't actually invested in the book and it's it's just a huge loss really on their part <laughs> because it's this a magnificent piece of literature and I'm a literature junkie. I've read my entire life. I'm you know, all sorts of different books. And this is the one I come back to, you know, it's an old friend. Yeah. I know you've mentioned before that it was actually made into a movie, you know, a couple of years back with Michelle Pfeiffer and a couple other um, interesting actresses. Yeah, actually it had a, it had a really grand cast. Um, Alison Lohman, who unfortunately kind of fell under the radar, but it was by choice. Um, you know, she had, kids and stuff but she was uh that was i guess her first movie um and she did a really exceptional job as astrid uh michelle pfeiffer who was always a diva and just picturesque and she was fierce and cold and severe and all those things that ingrid magnuson was inside the book too so she did a fantastic um, portrayal of that um renee zellweger was in it uh noah wiley it was just a really great cast and it was actually um correct me if i'm wrong one second alex is walking into the room with the dogs <laughs> it's all good okay come on Assuming that's Edwin. (laughs) Yeah, that's Edwin. Edwina. So, uh, I can see that you love the movie, but, you know, I've also heard that the movies had, the movie had a couple mixed reviews. You know, um, like, there's this blog post on goodreads.com by Beamweeks who actually asked Janet Fitch, in which she actually responded. And he says that, um, and I quote, I seriously loved White Oleander, the novel. I was somewhat disappointed with White Oleander, the movie. What are your feelings towards this film as it was inspired by your work? And she responds, a movie can never be a book, can never replicate the experience. 
It can only be inspired by a book and hopefully be a worthwhile piece of art in itself. It is a very it is very flattering when one artist wants to base a work of art on your work of art, but you can't control what they do with it. Van Gogh could could paint a pita or a pieta after Delacroix, but Delacroix didn't stand there and go, "Well, that's not what I would do." Delacroix already painted his picture, and Van Gogh wanted to do something based on it. That's how I feel about the film, as it was based on something I was written. I love the film, but the book still exists. Um, how do you feel about that? I feel like <laughs> I feel like um, Janet is an incredibly generous author. <laughs> um, I think she was trying to be a. I think from one artist to another, she was trying not to put another artist down. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie was entertaining, and I think the movie covered. Um, I think it just got it... right to the meat of the story without actually explaining any of the extravagance and how it made sense that she developed into the person that she developed into. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just very kind of like from one scene to a, to another, she was just a different person evolved into something else. Um, so, and it was kind of like, okay, I can understand how like she's going through all of these experiences in the foster care system in Los Angeles and how it would change her, but you're not really seeing the process and how she it happened. And Janet might, well, not Mike. She is right in the sense that a film will never be a book, but I also feel like it is a producer's responsibility if he's going to take on the art form of somebody else and try and portray it in a way that is respectful to the original artist. It is to tell the story in a way that is um, complete, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was not complete. The, the movie as a standalone was a good movie. Um, once you've read the book, it's just vastly disappointing. Um, some of Astrid's most magnificent pivot points in her life that would have built up to an ending that made more sense in the movie were completely cut out. Um, so you talk about... I, I feel like it would have been better. I mean, if they spent as much time as they did on The Lord of the Rings, they could have given this movie an extra 30 minutes and just told a better story. All right. So it sounds from what you're telling me too that in a sense, you know, the character the character or the main character goes through a, a journey, you know, it sounds like the hero's journey. And you talk about a lot mm-hmm. of development of this character. So what development does she actually go through? I mean, I know you mentioned the foster care system, but what exactly do these characters go through throughout White Oleander? So, repeat the question. So you talk about, or you've been saying, um, stating, you know, how the character goes through a series of events. And in a sense, it sounds like a lot like a journey, you know, Mm. of some sort. So how would you describe or how would you, you know, give the listeners, for example, um, a sense of that journey? Like what exactly does she go through that make her such a staple in the book? As opposed to other characters. Well, she is... She's a young girl. So it starts when she's 12 Mm -hmm. um, in the novel. And 
you know, she's born to this very icy, unreachable, extraordinary, fierce woman who is a fairly well-known and published poet. And, you know, she looks up to her. You know, she's an only child and she's an only child to a single mother who has this very kind of TMI relationship with her daughter. You know, when she's 11, 12 years old, her mother's telling her about when she has one night stands to never let the man stay the night. You know, and it helps so that she can keep her power. Right. You know, um, things that, you know, 11, 12 year old girls really aren't processing yet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the idea of having one night stands and casual sex, but there her mother is, you know, writing a poem the next morning, half naked on her bed. And Astrid asks her, you know, an ordinary question about the man that was with. And she says, you never let a man stay the night. You lose your power. The magic of night is killed by the dawn. Right. And I'm kind of paraphrasing, but things like that. So she had was forced into a very advanced way of thinking about herself as mm -hmm. a young woman by a mother who did not know how to come down to her level as a child. So she forced her child to come up to her level at a very young age. Um, and it made her displacement physically out of her home into the foster care system all the more tumultuous because she was also misplaced um intellectually i suppose and the development of how she was to picture herself without the constant influence of of her mother and so she ends up in all these situations where they could have been fairly normal foster foster um adaptations if i'm you know uh but because of the way she was raised she can't fit in um and it cost her dearly you know she's more complicated and more intellectual than a lot of her foster mothers who then grow to resent her and hate her uh one of the situations is that the foster mother is just too simple and her husband ends up or the boyfriend ends up um, developing very inappropriate feelings for Astrid who is at the time 13 um, oh wow and uh, yeah so that snowballs into a really complex gritty situation um, so you talk about that, foster care but what exactly happens to the mother so okay so Ingrid Magnuson is put in prison because she murders her boyfriend. Ooh. Um, and how? That's, that's <laughs> what? How does she murder her boyfriend? Spoiler alert. Well, with, with White Oleanders. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty that can never be touched. Oh. Um, it's like, I hope I don't yeah. see that at your place next time I visit. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, I got a whole bush. Ooh. I'll be like, Alex. <laughs> um, so her mother murders her boyfriend because he made a fool of her. And she's a very prideful woman. And she goes against all the rules that she has 
always had set in place for herself and that she had always taught her daughter Astrid about not letting a man stay the night, never letting a man feel comfortable approaching you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that a woman should always be in possession of her power and be unapproachable. And she kind of turned her back on all of her own rules for this guy and he made a fool out of her and she was just not about to have that. <laughs> hmm. um, and, and, you know, and in some ways, I think that's the brilliance of how Fitch wrote the book is that even though she did this really, really crazy thing, you kind of feel like, well, he should have left her alone. He had it coming <laughs> <You know? laughs> because she did tell him like nine times. She's like, get away from me. No, I don't want to. Um, then he got crying and crying, and eventually she gave in. Then he, you know, he got what he wanted, you know, like an ego boost, because she was way out of his league. And then he dumped her on her ass, and she was like, no, not on my watch. So she killed his stupid ass. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, then ended up in prison. And, you know, it was just, it goes also, which is really, it goes into the selfishness of, of mothers, too, Um of this particular mother and a lot of people's mothers is that she did this thing out of her pride and ego without any regard for what was going to happen to her daughter, who she claimed to love more than anything and want to protect from everything. Yeah. You know? So um, throughout the, I mean, so she goes, she ends up falling in love with the guy. She ends up killing him. Astrid falls in foster care, you know, in short, how was her experience throughout foster care? I mean, I know you mentioned that she goes through a couple of different foster homes, you know, so what exactly goes on through there? Because it does sound like she goes through a journey as all narratives tend to do, especially with such topics. Um, of course. Um, so she has, I mean, she goes through really pretty much every horrible and beautiful experience that most people experience in an entire lifetime before she's even 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the the first foster care situation where she has that relationship developed with her foster father um, ends up in tragedy because the mother attempts to kill her. Oh, shit. The foster mother. Um, so she moves on from that. She gets put back in the system. Um, then she ends up with a family of modern day Trump supporters but Nazis <laughs> um, I mean it's just, it is the way that it is like they talk about like the Mexicans on the street and there goes the neighborhood we got a black neighbor so we'll um, call it middle America <laughs> yeah but it's not because it's Los Angeles oh um, yeah so anyway and I love I think that was my favorite part of the book though which was left out of the movie, of course. Uh, you know, she ends up with this family that's just very, very abusive to her. Um, the mother, is, foster mother, is extremely racist, and um, you know, just she's got an ugly heart. You know, for not I want to give away too much of the book, but she's just a, a very bad person, and she talks very illy of the. Illy. Is that a word? It is now. That's not right. Is that right? <laughs> she speaks poorly of the neighbor who is a 
black woman named Olivia Johnston who is an escort. Oh. Um, yes. And at this point, Astrid's like 14, maybe 15. I think she's 14 at this point. Um, and uh, she's got a great deal of resentment for her mother at this point because of all the trauma that she's going through. And her mother's very cold and icy about it. You know, she's very, uh, just be tough and real women are Vikings. A great part of this story is that their heritage is Swedish. And the mother plays on that a lot, that they were Vikings, that they that they murdered and hung their gods from trees and they no longer served them. Okay. Like that. Um, very, so forcing Astrid to constantly want to be very tough and to be strong and then to feel shame when she's feeling weak and scared and that's an interesting focused. psychology between a mother and a daughter mm-hmm. yeah. so, and she doesn't have a mother that she can really turn to emotionally because her mother is such a dogmatic viking like person right mm-hmm. um but then she develops this very strong relationship with this woman next door olivia johnston who is glamorous and and beautiful and black and artistic and sexually liberated and um it's just such a that's to me that was probably the one of the that was the largest pivotal point in her life as far as rebuilding reassessing what her confidence as an individual meant to her and realizing that her mother wasn't the only kind of strong beautiful independent woman that there was out there so what would you say would be the ultimate life lesson astrid learned in this coming of age journey and how did she triumph from it that when you idolize your mother you give her the power to destroy you Hmm. so i think that's pretty deep the idea (laughs) that when you remove someone from their human position and put them on a pedestal you give them no other option but to disappoint you yeah. But you also give them every tool required to manipulate and control and to abuse you, even when they aren't necessarily trying to do that. But it is a human nature type of thing, I suppose. That's um, really deep. I, I think the greatest lesson in it was how she could still love her mother and not be angry with her mo- mm-hmm. mother. And she still developed a profound sense of self and independence from it. Well, I definitely got to jump on that book soon. You know, even if it's on Audible. You should. It's been out for a minute. (laughs) I would be curious, actually, if you find it on Audible, let me know who reads it because, I mean, because it is so prosy, I feel like it would take a very special kind of person, a voice, um, to read that with justice so I, I would be curious i'd love it if janet fitch actually read it all right yeah there is something special when you hear the author read their work yeah because i mean you're hearing it exactly how they wanted it to be heard yeah well that's pretty much all the questions i have for the book and which i'll probably jump on it very soon after our little discussion today yeah everyone should read this book it'll change your life and it sounds really dark and um, like it has a lot of ominous elements, and sure it does, but there's also some very 
beautiful highlights to it and it's also it's just, it's very empowering at the same time so it's not just a dark tumultuous read about this girl's turbulent experience through foster care she doesn't dive into some dark rabbit hole that she never finds her way out of it's it's a very realistic believable i think i lost you there adam i probably lost them there well it's been a great discussion and i'm definitely going to be jumping on it you know for anyone listening out there i would definitely recommend the book and give us a follow on instagram at books and beards podcast 